Well, hey, Crosspoint, this series has been so encouraging, so insightful. We've had, we've had a different speaker each week sharing the ways that we can apply the, the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, and be able to, to mine those stories to find truths to apply to our lives today. And if you've missed any of the previous messages in the series, I want to encourage you to go back and check them out on our YouTube channel. And, uh, and we've, been, we've been challenged and encouraged. And today, uh, we're going to experience more of the same as we wrap up this series with our friend Kyle Eidelman and Kyle and his wife Desiree. They live in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, they have four kids, beautiful family. Um, Kyle has been an encouragement for me in ministry um, over the past uh, six years. Uh, before that, through his books. And, uh, and do you know how good it is to just sit down with an author? And when you meet them, you, you find out um, find out who they are. And it's like who you'd hope they'd be, who they'd be when you were reading the book. And, uh, and Kyle has been that way for me. He's been a gift uh, personally, and any time that we've had together has never been enough. Uh, he's the lead pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, gifted teacher, authentic leader with a huge heart for God and for his word. And I can't wait for you to get to hear from him today. And so it's his first time at Crosspoint. So would you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Kyle Eidelman to the platform as we finish out our Storyteller series. It is uh, so good to be at this church. I have been inspired and encouraged by what God is doing in this place for, for quite a while. When my daughters were in college here in Nashville a few years ago, this is where they attended. And one of my prayers as a dad was, God, would you let them connect to a church that is authentic and a church that is prayerful? And they discovered that here, and it helps them own their faith in a different way. And, and it's... How I've come to know your pastor, Kevin, is a humble, authentic, courageous, prayerful man that has encouraged me, inspired me, and I love seeing how that is true of this church. I'm thankful to be part of this series. I'm actually wrapping it up that you guys have been in, going through the parables of Jesus. It's interesting that Jesus as a teacher told so many stories because you might think that he would lean a little bit more on the uh, explanation side, right? Like if he was going to teach, you might assume he would get pretty academic or what some people would describe as deep teaching, but he he told stories. There's something about difficult concepts that are better understood through stories, especially when you want those concepts to be experienced and not just um, cognitively understood and recognized, right? Some things need to be experienced rather than simply explained. And if you need to experience it, then a story is the best way to capture it. And that's true for what we're talking about in these next few minutes when we talk about grace. Like, I could give you a very technical, wordy, theological definition of grace, but I'm not sure that you would understand grace the same way than if you um, heard a story. And so Jesus used stories to teach us about grace. You looked at one last week, the prodigal son, Luke 15. This week, we're going to look at a story Jesus told in Matthew 18 called the unmerciful servant. And we're going to understand grace a little differently through a story than we could an explanation. So I'm convinced that we don't really understand grace unless we can tell our own story, unless we can attach a story from our own lives that might be difficult to tell. And so I, I want to start that way before jumping into Matthew 18. It's not a story that I would typically want to share, or actually I would never really want to share this story from the stage 
It'd be hard for me to share this in a lot of churches because I just, I'm not sure I could uh, trust how the room would hear it. But I want to tell you about one of my grace stories. It was a Thursday night, maybe 10, 12 years ago. I was lying in bed next to my wife, and I hear this crash come from the bathroom. She's asleep. I was awake, and I went in there, and here's what had happened. This long mirror that had been hanging up on the door fell off the door, crashed into all kinds of pieces. That mirror was hiding something. It was hiding a, uh, well, it was hiding a hole in the door. How did it get there, you may ask? Um, here's your clue. It was about the same size as uh, my fists. And when I say about the same size, I mean like exactly the same size as my fist. And I had gotten angry. Never thought I'd be that guy, but I had punched a hole in the door. My wife and I were in an argument about something. I don't remember what it was. I told her I was going to share this story with all of you. And I said, do you remember what we were fighting about? And she said she didn't remember. I was kind of glad. I don't think I would have told you anyway. It doesn't feel like your business. Like it. But I... I got mad, punched the hole in the door, and then I didn't want anybody to know about it. I hoped my wife would forget about it. My kids would never discover it. And so I went to the store, and I bought a mirror to cover that hole. I didn't even want to call somebody to come in and replace that door because I didn't want them to know about the hole in the door. And so I just covered it with a mirror. And in hindsight, like there's some irony in covering up a failure with a mirror that you have to look at yourself in. But I missed it. I missed it at the time. But when it fell and it crashed and it was in lots of pieces, I remember looking at myself in the broken pieces of the mirror. And it just, it just was very convicting. It's my own brokenness. Picked up the pieces. It's on my knees in the closet. My wife came in. She saw what was happening. I looked up. I looked up at her. Just tears in my eyes. I had not really ever apologized. Not really. Just tried to cover it up and pretend like it didn't happen. I, I just, I'm so sorry. That's not who I want to be. I want to be a a tender husband and a gentle husband. I, I want to be a man of self-control. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And I remember she um, took my head, she kind of put it up against her stomach and held me for a minute or two. She helped me pick up the broken pieces of glass. Uh, the next morning, I... I told her I didn't sleep much last night. I feel like God, oh, I feel like he wants me to share this story with the, the church. What do you think of that? I was hoping she'd say no, really. Like, I, I, I know it'd be embarrassing for me, but also for her. So I thought, God wants me to do this. But if she says no, well, I'd just be like, well, God, I, I'm willing to. But, you know, what am I, I want to honor her as a husband. And so I was hoping she wouldn't, wouldn't want me to do it. But she's like, no, if you feel like that's what God wants you to do, then you, sh you should do it. And I said, well, I just, I'm, I'm concerned about what people will, will think of me. And she laughed a little and she said, trust me, we're not the only ones with a hole in the door. And that weekend, I stood up in church, and I told them the story. And after the service was over, I was out in the lobby at the church, and one of our church leaders started walking towards me. And I'm like, um, uh, this is going to not go well. But he got closer to me, and he gave me a hug. He'd never been a hugger. Always kind of a fist bump guy. 
But now he hugs me and he said, I've got a uh, picture that hangs on a wall in my room that covers a hole. And he shared his story with me. And we took a few minutes there. And then when I looked up, strangest thing in the lobby there, a line had formed. There was five, six guys, guys all, yeah, all guys, like all the same gender, but they're all lined up there, all of them ready to share their story of putting a hole in the wall. And here's what I learned in that moment is like, I could have talked to them about shame and guilt and grace and forgiveness. I could have defined it for them. I could have given them the right explanation theologically and doctrinally and all of that stuff is important and it matters. But there's a story that gets told that invites people into grace differently. Like, if you want to experience it, then, then a story is helpful. And so Jesus tells us this story in Matthew 18. Here's how it gets set up. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody? Would you say seven times? And, and Peter probably thought he was being pretty generous because the Jewish rabbis of the day would have had this formal teaching that you forgive somebody three times and after that you're good. Three times. And so when Peter says seven, he probably thinks he's being especially uh, benevolent, like Jesus is going to say, Peter, seven times? Why can't all the disciples be like you? Like you would expect that Jesus would compliment him. But my guess is when Peter asks this question, he's um, not just picking a random number. Like I bet there's a story and a name attached to it. And I'm just guessing seven times was how many times. Peter had been hurt by this person, and he now wants to know, when's enough enough? Jesus, is seven times enough? Surely that's enough. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, look, as long as Peter's asking, okay, yeah, I'd like to know too. Like, when is enough enough? And Jesus replies to Peter and says, actually, Peter, um, 70 times seven. Or maybe your version says 77 times, but the point that Jesus is making here is grace is enough. Grace is greater than the hurt. Grace doesn't stop giving. That's part of the definition of grace. And I don't know about you, but I, I want to be that kind of person. Like, I, I do not want to become bitter. I, the older I get, the more I recognize that there are things to be angry about and upset about. There's more wounds and hurts. And, but I don't want my life to be marked by Bitterness, the Bible warns us in Hebrews about not letting the root of bitterness grow because bitterness and anger just has a way of overtaking. Like, like Ephesians 4 says, um, not to give the devil a foothold with anger, not to give him a staging ground, that there's something about bitterness and anger that gives him access to every part of who we are. It's just toxic. It overtakes us. I want to be a person of grace, but how do I give that? How do we do that, especially if you've been hurt in some significant way or the person who hurts you can never really make things right? How do, we, how do we give that kind of grace? So Jesus tells this parable to help us understand where that kind of grace comes from. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. This wealthy CEO type opens his books, time to collect. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Like this is a comical amount of money. It would be like $200 million in our economy. For someone who was a servant in that day, it would be like 165,000 years of work to, to pay what is owed. 
Like he was never going to be able to pay this back. It was never going to happen. And so verse 25 says, since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to help repay the debt. I'm going to sell you into slavery, your wife, kids. I'm going to sell everything you've got. And, you know, at least it'll make a little dent in it. But this is meant to be a reflection of our standing with God, that we all owe a debt that we could never repay. And it's comical to think that we could somehow earn enough, do enough good to pay off the debt that we owe. Now, we'll minimize it. We try to feel better about our sin debt by saying, well, look, I might owe $200 million, but this guy... He owes 300 million. Like we we might try to minimize it and justify it, but you can't ignore it. Like we owe this debt that we can't even afford the interest on. And so this is meant to reflect that standing. Verse 26, the servant who owed all this money fell on his knees before his master and said, be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay you back everything. I think he means it, but he can't. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him. He had compassion on him, and he, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. He doesn't just lower the payment. like He cancels the debt. He erases it as if it never happened. And this is how God is with us through Jesus. And because of Jesus, the Bible says our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the deepest part of the ocean. The Bible says that he looks at us and he sees us without blemish or defect. It's not just that he sees us without our sin, but he sees in us the righteousness of Christ. Like it is this, it is this picture of how God has forgiven us a debt that we could, we could never repay. But it says when the servant who was forgiven this $200 million debt went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, 20 bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. That's crazy. It would, it would be like us coming to church, worshiping, celebrating God's grace, and then getting in the car and fighting with each other about where we're going to have lunch. Some, something like that. And then we... Read, read what happens next. That man who owed him 20 bucks fell on his knees and begged him, please be patient. I'll pay you back the 20 bucks. If you haven't heard the story, you think, well, of course that's what's going to happen. Of course, if he's been forgiven $200 million, of course he's going to forgive the 20 bucks. Of, of course. But verse 30 says he refused and instead he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went out and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Well, when would that happen? Never. Like this was a forever punishment. This man would spend the rest of his existence just with this agonizing regret. And at the end of the story, it ends differently than most of the parables that you've studied. Like most of the parables, if you've noticed, Jesus leaves them a little bit ambiguous, somewhat vague. He's gonna let you process it, unpack it a little on your own. This story, that's not what happens. It's a pretty sobering verse, actually. It says in in verse 35, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
That's hard to know what to do with that. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive. Your brother or sister, your husband, your wife, your friend, your co-worker, your sibling. Unless you forgive them from your heart, like unless you really forgive them. And maybe you hear that and you think, hey, okay, are you telling me, are you telling me that if I don't forgive, that God's not going to forgive me? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm not telling you that. But um, Jesus is. Like, that's what he says. And this isn't the only place he says it. Look at Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. It is not okay for you to accept God's incredible gift of generosity to, to you. And then not give it to others. Like, it's, it's not an option to say, well, I want this. But I'm going to have to think about this. It doesn't mean you just get there immediately. I'm not saying it won't take some work and some commitment. And maybe you need some help along the way. But it's not an option to say, yes, I'll take this. But I'm not going to give it to anyone else. Colossians 3.13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God has been so generous with us. I'm not saying, please hear me. I'm not saying you're not owed a debt. I... I I know, like, I know some of you are owed a lot. Like, you're owed a marriage to start with. You're owed some vows. You're owed a, uh, you're owed a childhood. You're owed your innocence. You're owed an explanation of some kind, an apology at the very least. You're owed something. I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying that because of God's grace towards you, you are to forgive others. Your debt that you owed is more than anything that you'll ever have to forgive. And if you don't understand that, then I would just say you don't understand yourself very well and you don't understand the gospel quite yet. You'll never be asked to forgive more than God has forgiven you. And that grace should just make all the difference in us. Do you remember this commercial from a number of years ago? It was a Claritin allergy commercial, and they would split the screen, and they would show half of the screen if you didn't take the allergy medicine. You remember this? And it would be like cloudy and murky and dark. But if you took the allergy medicine, the other half of the screen was clear and crisp and colorful. The idea was you gotta, you gotta take this. If you take it, it just changes the way you experience the world and see things. And I would just say God's grace is meant to have this kind of impact on us, that it changes our outlook. It, it gives us a lens through which we see everyone around us and everything that happens to us is is changed when we really understand God's grace. Like that's how it should affect us. And, and we should, as followers of Jesus, be the, the most forgiving, the least sensitive, least offendable people on the planet. But sometimes I think what people experience with us is actually the opposite. Like they come to church or they come around believers and they feel like um, everything wrong with them gets magnified. My, my wife in, in our uh, house has on the bathroom sink this little um, mirror about yay big. Um, and it's like a, I don't know, it's like a mirror, mirror on steroids. You know what I mean? Like it just shows you 
everything that's wrong with you, like all the blemishes, all the flaws, like a little zit looks like an erupting volcano on the Discovery Channel. Like it just blows everything up. I never look in that mirror, right? Because no one can see with that kind of vision. I'm like, why do you look in that mirror? If other people, if other people had that kind of vision, I get it. Yeah, you should probably see how you look but nobody has that kind of vision, so why look in that mirror? And, and what I would tell you is that a lot of people feel like in the church, everything just gets magnified. It's just a place to point out, here's what's wrong with you. And grace gives us a different lens. It lets us hold up a different kind of mirror where people can see that with Jesus, sins are forgiven, that we're made beautiful in him, God sees us without blemish or defect. And so I want to take a few minutes and just talk about how we apply this because when you're owed a debt, there are a number of ways in which you can respond to that debt, right? A number of ways you can deal with your bitterness and anger. I just want to walk through a few of these. One, you can repress it. Repress means to suppress by force something that's wanting to come to the surface. And I think that's how a lot of us have dealt with hurt and debt that is owed to us. We're just going to pretend like it didn't happen. We're going to try to suppress it, but it's just fighting to come through the surface. And, and then what happens is it ends up spilling out on people who had nothing to do with the debt that was owed. And, and so maybe you grew up in a home where there was a lot of hurt and a lot of damage that was done. And you just thought to yourself, I'm putting that behind me. I'm going to, I'm going to suppress that. I'm going to move into this marriage and family. And, and you're an angry, you're angry. And people are always having to be careful around you. And, and your tone is always harsh and you're bitter. And it's not because they did something. It's because there was these things that were done to you that happened and you, you thought you could suppress it, but it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Like, it requires, it requires grace. It requires being honest about what's been done and what hurt has been caused. But we try to repress it. Another thing we try to do is, is we rehearse it. I don't know if you're this way, but I think for many of us, we think the way to not let someone get away with what they did to us is by remembering it. Like, if I just keep replaying it, as long as I don't forget, then they haven't gotten away with it. And as a result, we walk around with this, uh, with this weight, with this bitterness that affects everything around us. Another way that we try to deal with that anger, with that debt, is, is we retaliate. We retaliate. We want to find a way to even it. Like they need to make things right. I need, to, I need to make things right. Look, I, I was taught growing up that this is how you do this. It's not a bad thing to teach a kid, but my parents taught me that if I offended somebody or I hurt someone or I was disrespectful in some way, I said something, did something that I shouldn't have, that I needed to make it right. You got to make it right. It's not a bad thing to teach a kid, but I grew up with this mentality that this is how relationships work that when somebody offends you or hurts you, that they need to make it right. And yeah, I'll forgive you, but you gotta make it right. So what do you do when the person who hurts you is never gonna be able to make it right? Like there is nothing they could say or do to somehow make it right. And this isn't the gospel. Like we're to forgive as God has forgiven us. And God doesn't say, look, I'll forgive you, but you gotta make it right. No, the gospel says Jesus has made it right. 
for us, that he's reconciled us to God so that, in part, we can be reconciled to one another. That's a hard thing. A number of years ago, I had an out-of-state relative of mine get into some financial trouble, um, and he he asked us for a loan of $7,000 and told us about his plan to pay it back. My wife and I certainly didn't have $7,000 sitting around to loan him, but we pulled some money out of savings that we were going to use to pay kids tuition and to pay some taxes. Like we needed the money back. We couldn't not have it back. And, and he had his plan. He was going to pay it back within the year. And um, you'll never guess what happened, right? Like we just didn't hear from him. And I reached out to him, but he wouldn't return my calls or texts. And I tried to put together a plan that would help him and work for us. But he, he just kind of ghosted us. We would go back over the holidays and spend some time around him, but he would avoid us. And in the meantime, we had to sell our vehicle to get some extra money that we needed to pay those bills. And I remember driving this beater minivan and just being mad. Nothing worse than a madman in a minivan, but I, I, was, I was angry, resentful. And my wife eventually came to me and she said, hey, I think we just need to forgive the debt. We need to have a relationship with, with him. And as long as it feels like he owes us money, there's just going to be this distance between us. We just need to forgive it. We just need to be, be, be done with it. I think we just should forgive the debt and tell him he doesn't owe us that money anymore. And immediately I thought, you know what? That's a horrible idea. Like, I, <laughs> I am not on board We'd be enabling him. He needs to take responsibility for his decisions. There's no way we're just going to forgive the debt. But we did. That's what we did. And so I, I remember talking to him and telling him, hey, we forgive the debt. You don't owe it to us anymore. It's okay. And in my mind, I had this uh, scene that was going to play out. Like, he would, like I would say to him, hey, we're going to forgive the debt. You don't owe us the money anymore. And he would be like, what? You do that for me? And he would just be overwhelmed with gratitude. No, that's not what happened. Like, he, he received the news and was very casual. It's like, oh, oh, that's right. Uh, thank you. That's so nice of you. Totally forgot about that. I appreciate that. And that was it. And I'm like, not okay. I... I I was ready to charge him interest and because I had this expectation of, and so I had to decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep forgiving that. And, and sometimes it was hard. Like I remember a few years after that, he bought this new truck and he posted pictures of it on social media. And I, I'm like, hey, nice truck. It reminds me a lot of this minivan I used to have. You know, I didn't post it, but I, I felt like it. Like I wanted, I wanted to. And I just have to remind myself that forgiveness isn't a feeling. I sent that debt away. I removed it from our relationship. I've forgiven it. And that's the fourth way. It's what we see in the Gospels. Matthew 18, verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Permanently deleted, completely erased, no trace that it ever existed. This is God's grace towards us. It is the grace we are to give 
to others. And I would say the only way you can give that to others is by receiving it yourself. Like grace only really works when it flows. You can't give what you haven't received. It doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that all your questions get answered. It doesn't mean that trust is somehow magically restored. It doesn't mean that you pretend like nothing happened. But it means that you are not going to bitterly dwell on what someone said or did. You're not going to punish them and make them pay. Cancel the debt. Let them go. And it's just only possible if it's something you have received. And when you receive it from God, you begin to recognize you're you're never going to be asked to give more than what you've been given. The more you focus on what's been done for you instead of focusing on what's been done to you, the more grace that you start to discover along the way. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to end with just this little exercise of receiving grace. Because I think this is how we give it. We have to receive it. So I want to ask you to close your eyes just where you're sitting. Close your eyes. And the Bible says, in Corinthians, that God's grace is sufficient. The word sufficient means it never runs out. There's always just enough. And so with your eyes closed, I want you to picture a cup in your hands. Look down at it. Maybe it's a coffee mug. It's empty. There's nothing in the cup, but that cup represents your sin and your failures and your weakness and your emptiness. Now in your mind, I want you to picture yourself walking over to to a hose that's coming out of a huge wall. Stick with me on this. Do you have the picture in your head? The hose is coming out of this huge wall, wall so big you can't see over it, you can't see around it, you just have this hose, and, and you, you need to fill up the cup, and so you turn on the hose, and it, it begins to stream into the cup, and you're not sure there's gonna be enough water, but it, it fills up just enough, and then it stops. And that hose represents God's grace, like it just fills up, it's just enough. But the emptier you are, the more you discover, the emptier you recognize yourself to be, the more grace you find. So a little later in life, you come back, and this time you're not carrying a cup, like you're carrying a five-gallon bucket, and you really need some grace. But your bucket is, is big because you've said something you never thought you'd say. You've done something you never thought you would do. And your marriage is in rough shape, or you're just worn out and exhausted. You've lied about some things and broken trust with yourself and with other people. You've allowed anger and bitterness to just spill out on those around you. And you just need, you need grace, but you need a lot of it. And so you turn that hose on and the water begins to fill, but you're, you're pretty sure there's not gonna be enough because there was barely enough for that cup. But it, sure enough, it fills to the top. Your bucket is full and then it stops. You come back again. And in your mind, just picture now you're driving a semi-truck and it's connected to this massive water tank and it's completely empty like you are. You found out about the affair. You're trying to confront some abuse. Betrayal seems like too much. The rejection feels overwhelming you relive the lies and just get angrier and you need so much grace and you know there's no way for there to be enough grace to fill up this water tank but you take 
the hose out and I'll get what I can out of it. And you just watch as it fills up, fills up, fills up all the way to the top. Your curiosity gets the best of you. Like where's all this water coming from? And so you start tearing down that wall and on the other side of the wall, you see an ocean miles and miles and miles of it. There was always enough. There was always enough. And this is God's grace to you. It does not run out. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, there is enough grace. And you might have given up on grace, but it hasn't given up on on you. I don't think it's an accident that you're sitting here. I think that's God's grace. I, I don't think it's an accident that you're listening to this. I think it's God's grace towards you. Like, I think God's grace has chased you down. Like, you thought God was running after you because he was mad, but he's running after you because he wants to give you his grace. And it's it's enough. It's sufficient. So we want to fill our hearts with his grace. And as we do, we, we have grace to give. So here's what I want us to do. You can open your eyes. I just want us to spend a few minutes together receiving grace. You come with your empty cup or your empty bucket or you back that trailer truck up and you get filled with God's grace. I would love to have an opportunity to pray that grace over you. So we're gonna sing a song and um, as soon as I'm done praying, the prayer teams are gonna make their way forward at the different campuses. And then during the song, if you would step out, come and get some grace, be prayed over, be prayed for. You can do that during the song or you can do it after the service, but you don't have to wait till after the service. You come on down and be prayed for while we sing. But let this just be a time for us to receive grace so that as we leave here, we've got grace to give. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that through Jesus, uh, we have been given amazing grace. I pray that you would allow us to be able to tell our own story of the grace we have received from you that it would be something that we don't just understand cognitively. It's not just something we explain, but it's something that we've, been, that we've experienced personally that's changed us. And, and the truest test I know of that we have experienced grace of Jesus is how we give it to those around us. So I pray that it would just mark us as your followers, Jesus, that we would just be so full of your grace that it just spills out onto everyone around us, that, that it would just flow we would receive it and we would give it because of of you, Jesus. In these next few minutes, God, as as we pray, I pray that you would meet us right here and that you would let us fall on our knees, celebrate the grace that we've been given, and may it change, change us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. you guys stand and worship with us?
the precious blood.